Now you hear me, don't you? Hey, it's good to see you. We are in Luke chapter 1 this morning, if you turn there with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can surely grab one there out of the pew rack in front of you. We'd love to have you follow along uh, in the Word. We are, we're here, guys. We're, it's Christmas time. I am so excited, and I, I, some of you are just like, Brandon, you're just sick. Something's wrong. Something, and I, I love Christmas, and I hope, I hope that you and I can, can grow to love Christmas a little more this, uh, this year as we go through our new series uh, called Zechariah's Song. Um, I, it's it's going to be an amazing experience looking at this song, and, and today we're going to be looking at this outburst that he had, that Zechariah had, uh, praising God, this outburst that came from deep within. Um, but before we do that, I, I want to apologize to my type A personalities out there, the ones that are OCD and you know, they, they have the notes all ready to go. You've, already, you've probably already looked up the scripture references that are in the notes and, mar- and bookmarked them and numbered them in order. Um, every morning, every Sunday morning when I get to church, I... I pray over what God has given me, and I, I say, God, if there's something you want me to change, I'll, let's, let's change it. So this morning, God kind of wrecked the sermon a little bit, okay, and the order and those kinds of things. So if you're one of those types of people, it's probably best just to flip the paper over to the backside and take your own copious notes, because I know you'll do better, all right? We are still in the same references, same points. Uh, we'll add another point in there, but, but we will be a little, bit, uh, a little bit different order than what's on those notes. So we're going to be looking at this outburst of, of praise from the heart of a new father. Uh, Zechariah had, uh, last, last week we had seen this, uh, this, God had broke the silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? We had Malachi and the prophecy about the coming Messiah and the redemption to come and, that, and, that, and the forerunner would come who would be John the baptizer, right? And, and he would announce and, and make, make straight the paths in the desert for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then there's 400 years of silence after that. And, and I, I do want to note that, that it doesn't mean that God was silent, Right? And I talked, to, I talked to a few people this week, and someone actually last Sunday after church, uh, was God silent? Well, God was silent with his prophets. Right? He didn't raise up a prophet to speak and, and pronounce judgment or, or, or tell people how to live. But, but certainly there were still people living for God during that time. There were faithful Jewish believers who, who embraced the promises of God and in their lives, in their daily lives, lived out the message of redemption and hope. They were the voice of God, Right? And, and certainly during that time, they, it's not like the, the Old Testament disappeared. They still had those sacred writings to look at and to, and to glean from and to learn from and to study. So God was not silent in those ways. God was just silent in, in, in bringing his prophet and bringing this redemption he had promised. There was this gap of time. And, and it's very much uh, like today. We're 2,000 years removed from Jesus in the New Testament. And, and the promise that we have is that Christ will one day return. We know that Christ, he was crucified on a cross, he rose from the dead, he conquered Satan's sin and death once and for all, but he said, be watchful because I'm coming back. One day I will return, one day I will establish my kingdom, one day I'll take away all the suffering and pain. And so you and I now are in this 2,000 year time period of what we'd say is silence, but we still have, like they did, God's word. We still have each other and, God, and, and what God has taught us and how we can pass it on. But, but more importantly, and most importantly, I'd say, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, affirming and confirming the fact that, that God is God and that Jesus is, is real and that we can trust in that. And not only does history say that, but, but the Holy Spirit confirms that. And the Holy Spirit goes before us and leads us and guides us. So God is very much not silent, right? He is still continuing to speak. But during that time, there, was, there were no, no new prophets coming. There was no new instruction from the Lord. It was what they had and what they had believed and hoped in and what they were being led by in the Holy Spirit. And, and then God breaks the silence finally. 
We see the angel Gabriel come down to, to Zechariah and say, hey, listen, you're going to have a kid. Now, he was getting older in age, and, and his wife Elizabeth was barren, we, we learned. So there wasn't a lot of hope there. But, but he got excited about this, and, and there was a reason. And today we're going to see that reason kind of unfold. He gets excited because now God's redemption that was promised and that, he, that he's been silent about, hasn't said much about at all, now is coming to fruition, that, that something's going to happen. God's going to do something. That, that God is visiting his people, not only through this message through the angel, but, but visiting his people through Jesus Christ. And we get to see that. And, and that's the hope that we see during this Christmas season, this Advent season. But it's the hope that we embrace all year long, isn't it? The same hope that it's God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that he is still with us. So we're going to look at that today. And we're going to, so last week we talked about breaking the silence, how God kind of broke the silence with this pronouncement of, of hey, I, I'm, I'm going to follow through with what I had promised. This week, as we start Zechariah's song, we're talking today about the praise inside of him that came from the heart. And I want us to look at praise from the heart and see what does praise from the heart really look like? What does that do? And how does it outwardly show? All right? So let's pray and we'll, get, we'll read our text in, uh, in Luke and then we'll get to, get to work. All right? Father, we are so grateful uh, to be here today, to worship together in song and, and lift you up with our praises. God, you alone are worthy to be praised. We thank you for this time to look to your word now. And I, I pray, God, that you would, you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it, that you... Your Holy Spirit would be here, and, and, and God, it's, it, we invite your Holy Spirit to be amongst us. Change us and challenge us. Uh, God, point us in the direction that is right, that we might, might obey you fully and might conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, the Son. God, we want, we want to be new. We want to be renewed. We ask that you do, that you do that today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Luke chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start in verse 57 and read through 71 together, just kind of catch up on some of the accounts. So last week we, we, we heard a, uh, the angel Gabriel came and said, hey, you're going to have a, a son. It's going to be the forerunner. It's going to be, and you'll name him John. We, we knew that uh, Zechariah's name means that Yahweh has remembered, right? What a great prophetic thing. Yahweh has remembered. And then his son's name is John, which means God is gracious. God's grace was beginning to pour out and, and to be lavished out on us through, not only through John's presence, but his presence would then lead us to the one who was full of grace and truth. We'll see that again today. Um, and then we pick up in verse 57. And now Mary had visited. Uh, Mary had had the angel appear to her as well, and she had her own song just previous to this. Uh, she was excited about what the Lord was going to do. It was amazing that she, that he, she was going to be the one, or, or that she was the one that he chose to have this baby, the Messiah. So, and she has gone to visit her, her cousin Elizabeth. They know that each other are pregnant. I'm, I'm sure in this household that uh, Mary has shared what the angel has spoken to her uh, with, with Elizabeth and with Zechariah. So, so this story is, is becoming bigger, isn't it? It's becoming bigger and bigger. Like, what is God doing? This is amazing. We're in the middle of it. So, so uh, there's a little bit of uh, unbelief in, in a way with Zechariah. And we didn't see that last week, but I asked you to read that. And, and the angel said, well, because of your unbelief, you're not believing what I'm saying. I'm shutting your mouth. You'll be silent until this comes to fruition. And, and then we see that today. It comes to fruition when the baby is born. So we're picking up in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1, reading through 71 today. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Remember, God is gracious. 
61. Uh, then, then they said to her, none of your relatives have that name. So, so they motioned to the father, find out what he wanted to call him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. Right? I'm probably capital letters on this writing tablet. This, his name is John. <clears throat> and then it goes on, it says, and they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all of those who lived around, around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. And that's the first part of his song. And I, I, we're going to talk about that today and, and talk about how this outburst of praise was fostered and formulated and then, and then what happens when we really have that deep praise within in our heart and what that looks like as it comes out. All right. So number one is this. Number, and this is where your notes are not going to work. Okay, you got to maybe put number one above number one, then they'll line up. Number one is this: as uh, we talk about a praise from the heart, a praise from the heart. Number one begins as a response to what God has done. A praise from the heart begins as a response from what God has done. Amen. Does that make sense? Like when, when we see, well, God's done this. I mean, if if it's from the heart and we haven't seen God work, we don't know He's really there. It's like, well, I'm not really. Nothing's going on. But now when we see what God has done, that praise is fostered inside of us and our heart, it, it melts and changes and, and it just overflows from within. And I, so I want to show some background to this passage before we jump into this passage. Uh, if you would with me, turn to 2 Samuel in your Bible. 2 Samuel, uh, very early on, uh, more early on in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, keep your ribbon, of course, in our text in Luke because we will be back. We're 2 Samuel, going to, going to chapter 7. And we're going to see how this started and see what was the background. What, what, was, what was the foundation of this praise and these truths? And what was the foundation of what God had been doing all along? And what, what Zechariah had absolutely embraced from his heart and his family had embraced from his heart. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through 16 together. <clears throat> It says, when the king had settled into his palace, this is King David, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that's on your mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? For from the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to, she uh, to shepherd my people Israel, asking, Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now, this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been you with, with you wherever you have gone. 
and I have destroyed all of your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live, uh, live there and, not, and never be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered the judges to be over my people of Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and, uh, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you uh, your chosen descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men, uh, a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul whom I removed from, uh, from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Now, that's, that's a big chunk of Scripture. We're going to talk briefly about it, uh, but this is, this is one of the most significant passages in the Old Testament. As, as, it, as it progressed forward, this was it. This was where God showed up and said, listen, here's a promise for you. Here's a big, big promise for you. It's like the Abrahamic covenant earlier in Genesis. We see that God has promised him to be a, a father of many nations and that through Abraham there will be redemption. And now David, we see David as part of this line now. And, David, and God's telling David, listen, I'm going I'm to make a throne that will endure forever in the house and line of David. Now there's two, I think two kind of areas we need to really think about as we look at this text. Uh, there's, the first part is that we can't outdo God. Right? That's what David was trying to do. He, he had been given rest now, and he was in his, in his beautiful palace, and he was like, you know, I'm, we ought to build God something now. He's, he's done so good for us. We, let's, let's make him more grand or appear more grand than he already is. And maybe that wasn't his intent. Maybe he knew he couldn't make God more grand than he already was, but he wanted to. He wanted to do something outstanding for God. But God had never asked him to. God had never said, I needed that. And what, and what did God do, right? So for, the first part of this is that God did is the, is the key. God did all of this stuff. So when we talk about number one being it begins, the praise inside begins as a response to what God has done. We see that all throughout this passage. I'm just going to highlight a couple. God says, for I brought the Israelites out of Egypt, right? I, have, I took you out of the pasture from tending, tending the sheep. Uh, I have been with you. I will make you a, your name a great name. I will designate a place for my people. I will give you rest from your enemies. I will raise up after you a descendant. I will be his father. Um, my faithful love will never leave him. Who, who, this has nothing to do with David. This has everything to do with who God is and what God does. It's all about him coming through for the victory, not about us. We, we're his faithful followers. Just be a faithful follower. Be okay being a sheep. Let him be the shepherd. Let him lead and guide. There's nothing that we can do for God that would outdo him. And that's the important aspect of that. We, we, we can't outdo him. We can certainly serve him and love him. And there are ways that we, we should use our gifts and talents to love God and serve other people. To try, and try our best to glorify God and magnify him and show him for who he really is to the world around us. But we can never outdo him. And if we lose sight of that, say, man, I, if I haven't done enough, that means God isn't good enough. We are wrong. We are in error. We can never outdo God, and God is always good enough. And God always does exactly what he needs to do. So being, this praise should be, become from inside, right, as a response to what God has done. The second part of this passage is, is equally important. It's God doing and making a covenant with us. 
God is making a covenant with us. There's a covenant promise here. And, and I preached on this, I don't know when it was, I, just, I remember preaching on it several, several months ago, maybe a couple years ago. And this, this topic came up because we're looking at his descendant being from his body, and, we, and that could certainly be who? His son, Solomon. Right? There, there's some, some thoughts in there. And, and so is this talking about Solomon, or, or is this talking about a throne that will do, endure forever and a descendant who he will never remove his love from? Is this going to be Jesus? And I, here's what I would say. The answer to that question is yes. Yes to both. There are aspects in here to both. And, and, and theologians and, and commentators will argue and debate and go back and forth, but I think the answer is both. There are aspects of Solomon we see here. And you know those, those is it called a telescope or it's a, like a monocular thing on a, on a pirate ship, right? You extend it out, right? Then when you want to see something closer, you pull it back in or you store it, right? So I think in, in this passage, in this view, what we have is we can see the short, like here, oh yeah, Solomon's going to be born. And then we extend it out like, oh, okay. I see something bigger going on here. Jesus, this is the eternal forever kingdom, the forever throne of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the seed of David. And that's what's happening as well. So I, I believe that it's both. Uh, and I want to show you a couple of things. Turn to Psalm with me, Psalms chapter 89. <clears throat> Certainly we, we see it as both. I'm, I'm, as you turn to Psalm 89, and we're going to start in verse uh, 89, I want to just go over a couple of thoughts from that passage <clears throat> together. Or for you. It says, the Lord declares, he himself will make a house for you. When your time comes with rest with your fathers, you're going to die, right? I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body. So the same thing, the seed is passed down. We can still be talking about Jesus. We'll see that in a minute. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So who built a house, right? Solomon builds the temple, right? So we can say, oh yeah, Solomon doing that. But there's, there's a greater temple to be, born, to be born and built, and we're looking further down in the kingdom of God when God will eventually establish his kingdom. Because Solomon's temple, what happened to it? It got destroyed. right? It, it, it got wiped out. So it did not endure forever. And then he goes, I will be his father and he will be my son. Okay, well that's still true of a, a, a believer in Christ. Like if I, I'm a, I believe in Christ, I'm a, I'm a God follower, a believer. I'm the son of God, right? I'm adopted. Okay, but, but the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is actually the Son, and He's the Father. Now, this is where people kind of get hung up. I will discipline Him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. And it's hard because we're like, well, Jesus is God in the flesh. He was perfect, right? He was sinless. There was no sin in God, in, in Jesus Christ. So how is, how is God, the Father, going to discipline the Son? Well, how did He discipline the Son, church? Right there. See, Jesus Christ took on our sin and was punished accordingly for it, wasn't he? And that's where he died and bled for us. Not because he had done something wrong, but because you and I had done something wrong. See, our sins were put on Jesus Christ, and God found it fitting, actually, uh, to punish him, right? To punish him. You can refer to Isaiah 53 later on. But he said, my faithful love will never leave him as it did with Saul before. So that with humans, his faithful love can, can leave and say, no, you're, you're not, no, my hand's not on you anymore, right? There was no faithfulness there in Saul anyway. But with Jesus, as Jesus was there, his faithful love never left him, as it did when he removed it from Saul, when I removed him before you. But your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. So there is a line coming out of David and a throne that will be established and a, and, a, and a palace, a temple that will be established and it will last forever. 
Now listen, this, this passage is what Zechariah and Elizabeth and all of these Jewish followers are holding on to. Like, this is what we know. This is what's true. We, we know that he promised David this. And they were not at that point considered, uh, concerned with Solomon at all. They were concerned with the Messiah who would establish the throne forever. So in Psalm 89, we're looking at verse 29 together through 37. Okay, I want to just com- compare some of these uh, David, the seed of David notes. Here it goes. It says, I will, I will, again, there's another I will. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens last. If his sons abandon my instruction and do not live by my ordinances, or if they dishonor my statutes and do not keep my commands, then I will call the rebellion to account with the rod, their iniquity with, with blows. So here's the deal. He's saying, David's line, I have, I have promised this. I have promised that out of David's line, that out, of, out of the seed of David, I will establish a throne that will endure forever. But along the way, along that way of those, those weird seeds, that, the, the bad seeds, right? I will punish. I will deal with them. I will hold them to account. But, verse 33, I will not withdraw my faithful love from him or betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant. Whose covenant? God's covenant. I will not violate my covenant or change what my lips have said. Once and for all, I have sworn an oath by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring will continue forever. His throne, like the sun before me, like the moon, established forever a faithful witness in the sky. Selah. You remember from our our summer of Psalms, what Selah meant? It meant let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in. Let it sink in that I will establish this throne, that, that his offspring will continue forever, his throne like the sun before me, like the moon, established forever a faithful witness in the sky. That's what should sink in there into our heart. right? Because this praise comes from our heart, right? And our praise, is, is, it starts and resonates because of what God has done. Because of what God has accomplished for us. So there are these bad apples, the bad seeds that will come out, but there is a seed that is good, and and that's found in Jeremiah 23. I'll read that for us. It says, look, the days are coming, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch of David, he will reign wisely as kin and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel, Israel will dwell securely This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh is it canoe. The Lord is our righteousness. That's what it's saying to us. That that he will provide a righteous line out of David. And the only one that we've seen that is is and can be our righteousness is who? It's Jesus Christ. The Lord is my righteousness. I want you to understand something. Like They're holding on to this. They're holding on to the promises of God. They're holding on to the promise that, that he is going to, to not lie about his covenant with David, that he is going to fulfill that covenant with David, and that he will provide a line, a branch out of David that is a seed that is a righteous seed. And see, there's a need here. And, and, and these, these believers, Zechari- Zechariah and his wife and all of those around him, they knew this need. This need was for a deep, deep salvation. A forgiveness of sin from within. You see, he was punished for us on a cross. Christ was punished for us on a cross. And, and God, before that happened, was making that way that the Messiah would come and, and that he would redeem through that punishment. 
But you and I, the Bible says, have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That we've all missed the mark. We've all made the mistakes. We are all the ones that deserve punishment. We're the ones that deserve to be separated from God forever. But he raised up a seed. Praise God, he raised up Jesus Christ, who will one day rule and reign forever. But he came initially, humbly, for our salvation. That you and I could exchange our filthy rags for his perfect righteousness. That he would clothe us with his righteousness. If you and I would humble ourselves before him, if we would turn from ourselves and say, I, I, I can't do it. You see, here's, here's the deal about Christmas. Talking about Jesus, baby Jesus coming in a manger in the humblest, lowly of ways. Here's the deal with Christmas. He came to earth because we couldn't reach him. He came here and did what we could never accomplish on our own so that you and I could be made whole and right with God and that the Lord would be our righteousness, the Lord who is in the line and seed of David, who will one day rule and reign forever on his throne, came in a lowly way, died a death that we deserve, so that you and I, by faith, could trust him and have a righteousness that we never earned, but that he freely gave by his grace, and that the Lord would be our righteousness. You see, when we talk about praise, we talk about a song that we sing from within, from the heart, from the depths of the heart, we have to understand that that it's because of what God has done for us. When we, when we understand that, that God is, has given himself on a cross for us, when we understand that he has, he has said, I will become your righteousness where you don't deserve that, that, that's the kind of stuff that goes so down deep inside of us that we can't contain it. You and I should overflow with joy and hope in Jesus Christ because while we couldn't earn it, he gave it freely to us. It cost him everything, but he gave it to us freely and you can't have that kind of overflowing praise the actual natural overflowing praise and hope if you don't have jesus so i encourage you to believe in jesus trust jesus as savior and let that hope start to well up in you now i'm going to ask this question after every point here's the question so what song are you singing what song are you singing what song am i singing what, what is the overflow of my heart doing? How, how is it coming out of my life? Is there a secure and strong hope in, in, in responding constantly to what God has done? Or am I kind of apathetic? When Christmas comes, it says, it's way too early to get Christmas stuff out. Why can't we just do one week of this and be done? I, I, personally, I want, the overflow in me, I want to keep this up all year long. Because that's the, this is the hope that we have. It's in Jesus and what he's done for us and how he's come to earth in such a lowly way to redeem us and give us a righteousness that we couldn't achieve. What song are you singing? What's coming out of your heart? What song are you singing? Number two. Got to find my number two. There it is. Okay. Number two, a praise from the heart expresses significant truth. Praise from the heart expresses significant truth. I want you to follow here. Go back. Our ribbon's there right in Luke chapter 1. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1. I want to look at verses 64 through 66. Remember, Zechariah had, had just asked for a tablet to write down the name he wanted because he couldn't talk. 
And we're going to pick up there in verse 64 again. It says this. Immediately, so he wrote down John, right? And immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. Let's go, sorry, let's go to 63. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. So stop there for a minute. He wrote. This, this worship inside of him had been welling up. Although he couldn't speak, he still was excited. He still had joy. He still had passion for the, for the gospel message, the redemption message, the covenant message of God. He understood that and embraced that. And he, and he, even though he couldn't speak, expressed significant truth. When he took this tablet, and he said, I'll write down that name. And what did he write? In his mind, he's like, this is what the angel Gabriel told me. This is what God wants. His name is John. And he handed that, that tablet over and said, this is his name. That was him expressing significant truth. And the truth that he had was the truth of what God had said in his heart and ordained from before the foundations of the world. That was the truth we're talking about. We're talking about significant truth. He writes down John. He says, immediately his mouth was opened. So now his mouth is opened. What happens next? What happens in this overflow, the praise from the heart? What happens? Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. How could you not? How could you not in that situation say, all glory to God? God is doing an amazing thing. I hope you get it. I hope you see it. I hope you hear it. God is about to do something amazing, and God has done something amazing. And it says, and all these things that have been talked about. So we're talking about probably all the things that Mary uh, had told and said, this is what, I have Jesus in me, and you have John in you, and this is going to be crazy. God's up to all of these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All, all who heard. See, the expression of praise as it expresses significant truth is audible. It's, it's ear-shattering. We hear it, and even if it's still and quiet, it pierces the heart. This is the kind of significant truth we're talking about. All who heard it, heard about him, it says what? Took it to heart. They took it to heart. So this thing that was expressed truth from the heart came out as expressed significant truth, and it penetrated the heart of others. They took it to heart, saying, when or what then uh, will this child become for or because indeed... The Lord's hand was with him. Indeed, God is up to something huge here. This is an expression of significant truth, isn't it? He, he can't help. See, when we understand and know that God has done something and that wells up inside of us and he's continuing to work, whenever that significant truth is there, we can't help but proclaim it outwardly. Let it overflow and spill out because of the excitement and the hope and the joy we have in God and in Christ Jesus. In this passage, we're getting, a, getting into a glimpse of the truth about the Messiah and what the Messiah did for the hearts of people. Before he was even born, the Messiah was doing things in the hearts of people. And as Zechariah was eight days, or no, I'm sorry, as John was eight days old, this whole storyline, he was a messenger already, wasn't he? He was already paving the way for the Messiah, and God was doing something in the hearts of of people. That's what happens when we overflow with praise. When praise comes from the heart, it expresses significant truth. And it was not Zechariah's, his song here was not just because, I'm going to be a daddy, I'm going to be a daddy. That was significant, right? That was a huge miracle. And it shouldn't be like belittled. It was huge. But it was not so much a reflection that he was going to be a dad, but it was about the joy and, being, and expressing a joy of a far more significant truth that God's redemption was at hand. That God was going to save the world. 
everything that God has done and is doing was taken to heart by those around. And then it was, ex- it was expressed as praise to God everywhere they went. And I want you to understand, like, the, the thing is for us as well, and, I, and in my point on my paper, I put, it, it's, it expresses significant truth. But I really think there's another thing here. It, it reveals significant truth. So I put ex- it expresses slash reveals. We should not be able to hide what's really inside of us. If we have real joy and hope, especially now at Advent as we celebrate this hope more, more out in the open and it's public everywhere and Christmas carols are being played everywhere. I don't care if they say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. It's about Christmas. It's about Jesus. And that will never be taken away. It's about Jesus Christ. There is so much hope that should be welling up inside of us. So what, what's on our lips? What's coming out of our heart? What are we, what are we saying? How are we praising? Because here's the, here's the truth. The, the tongue is the tattletale of the heart. The tongue is the tattletale of the heart. Luke 6.45 says, A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. Right? Take it to heart. And an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So what's your song? What song are you singing? Because the song you're singing can and should express the significant truth about the Messiah. But the song you're singing will indeed reveal what's going on inside your heart and mine. The first two chapters of Luke, we see five songs from the heart revealing God's grace. We see it as as Elizabeth hears the word and she sings a song and praises God. We see it as Mary hears from the angel and she responds with Mary's song and then Zechariah, he responds with his song. And then we see these shepherds who are out in a field watching their sheep at night and then the angels come and what do they do? They sing a song, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to all men, right? For unto unto us a child will be born, and and he will be Christ the Lord. He will be the Savior of the world. That's their song. And then we see, as Jesus is born, we see Simeon's song as well. And an amazing amazing tribute to to Christ and redemption. But but it's all about what's inside our heart. See, praise from the heart can and should express this most significant truths about Christ and redemption. But, but the praise from our heart, certainly, whatever comes out, will reveal what's really going on and what is, what is our significant truth. So what song are we singing? Are we singing a song like Zechariah or Mary or Elizabeth or like the angels or like Simeon? Or are we singing a song of sorrow? Are we singing a song of Sin. What does the world see being portrayed? What song are we singing? Number three, praise from the heart overflows. Okay, this is again the overflow, and maybe you see it in me today. I'm, I'm excited about this. Overflows with hope in God's redemption. Back to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 67. I'll read 67 and 68. So it overflows with hope in God's redemption. So Zechariah's first words, he's, he's praising God. It's, here's what it says. It says, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So this is, this is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is made the book. This is actual scripture. This is from the word of God, from the mouth of God, through, through Zechariah. But he prophesied. He spoke out loud. He, he said, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, 
Why? It says, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has visited. You know, that's the, that's the theme of Christmas, isn't it? That the Messiah, the God of Israel, has visited his people. And there's redemption to be had in him. You see, a praise from the heart will overflow with that hope in God's redemption, that he's doing something, that he did something for us that we could ever accomplish. I read these two verses last week. I'm going to read them again because it comes off this idea that, that John, the baptizer, his name's John, his, his name means God is gracious. And his grace and his mercy, he's given us redemption. It says this in John 1.14, the word became flesh and what? Dwelled among us. You know what that word kind of translates really into? It says, and pitched a tent, tabernacled. And that's where God resided. God, God was in the tabernacle. And that's where people could come to see God and be with God. And God would be with his people. God, through Christ, came to earth and pitched a tent. He tabernacled with us that we could have access to him, that he would be around us, and he would know suffering and no temptation, and that we would have a Savior in him. He has, he has made his dwelling place among us, and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son full uh, from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the hope of the redemption. Jesus came humbly around Christmas. The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling place among us. He chose to come be around us, and that's how His redemption was going to play out. Then Ephesians 1.7, I, I read part of this last week as well. It says this, In Him, in Him, Christ Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. So He came full of grace and truth, and now we have redemption because He paid that penalty for us. That word redemption Here's what it means. It means that, that you had a, a tab to be paid and that he paid it in full. He paid it for you. So you didn't have to because the tab actually for you and I was too high to pay. That's what redemption is. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, this praise that overflows from the heart, it overflows the hope in God's redemption. It's overflowing because God is gracious. Because God is good, because God extends His mercy to us, and that we are encouraged to believe. And that ought to sink deep into our hearts. Sink us, that ought to sink so deep into our hearts, it should move us to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and, and, and trust Him as Savior. Trust Him as our Redeemer, as the one who paid the price. And when He's won our heart and washed our sins, then we rejoice, don't we? See, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a Christ follower who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in Him, your, your hope is in Him, that ought to show. That ought to show, and we ought to sing about that and lift up Jesus wherever we can. We shouldn't be quiet. We shouldn't be still. We shouldn't be, shouldn't be hiding that. Praise from the heart overflows in this hope that's in the redemption of Jesus Christ. So again, I'll ask you, what song are you singing? What song are you singing? What song is your heart singing about the redemption that God has given you? Now, if you haven't trusted in faith in, in Christ, you don't have that. There's no song. Your, your, your song is yours. But if you have put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, if you have the hope of the Redeemer within you, that will overflow, and the song you'll sing will be all about Him and His grace and His love for you. So what song are you singing? Number four, finally. Praise from the heart is joyfully expectant that Christ will reign forever. Is joyfully expectant that Christ will reign forever. Here's the truth of this. As, 
as Zechariah was there and as, as the, uh, the Jewish people were there, they were waiting. They were ready. They, they had this oppression happening from Rome. Rome was like the, the, the government big brother on their shoulder that, that were controlling them, and when they could worship, how they could worship, if they could worship, how much taxes. They were just under oppression. And, and they likened it. The Israelites likened it, or the Jewish people followers, Israelites, likened it to the oppression that they, they faced generations before. Under who? Egypt. Under Egypt, when Egypt had their thumb upon them. So when this promise of the redemption was coming, and they're in the middle of this time where they needed to be freed, their hope was that the Messiah would come, and He would not only forgive sin. Now, that's the, that, here's the key thing here. They knew, they understood that they needed to be forgiven of sin. That was, that was the big thing. You, you are sinful and separated from God, and you need redemption. There needs to be shed blood to be forgiven of sin. They knew that. They, they, were, they were glad to have the redemption that was offered in the Messiah and the forgiveness of sin. But what they were, they were hopeful about was when he would come and redeem them and forgive them of sin, he would also establish his kingdom and rule and reign forever and, and lead them out of this oppression from their enemies. That was what their hope was, wasn't it? Their hope was there. So understand that that was part of Ze- Zechariah. Even as John is born and the Messiah is still in the womb inside of Mary, they're, they're like, hey, man, that, he's going to be the king. He is going to be the king. We're going we're to be free one day. It might take us a couple decades, let him grow up a little bit, but we are going to be free soon. Not only forgiven, but we're going to be free. Well, it didn't happen that way, did it? They wanted it to. They wanted it to so badly that that influence from Jewish culture went into even the Romans. And when they crucified Jesus, what'd they say? They said, here's Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. They put a crown of thorns on him to mock him. They wanted him to be king. Oh man, they wanted him to be king. They wanted to have this, this rule and reign of Rome be done. They wanted to be out of the oppression. But what they needed the most is what Jesus really gave them. You needed the perfect land to be sacrificed and slaughtered for your forgiveness. Let's start there. But there was still hope. There was still hope in their hearts. And for you and I, in this 2,000 years later, we are still hoping in and, and expectant for the fact that Christ will reign and rule forever. Look at verses 69 and 71 in our, in our Luke passage. He raised up a horn of salvation for us. Both salvation from sin and salvation from our foes, right? Uh, salvation for us in the house of his servant David, right? Talking more about, uh, this is talking about Mary. He knows that Mary is from the house and line of David. And through her blood, this will be passed to the child because that child was not Joseph's child. That child was Mary's physical child and God's child, right? That line of David, we passed through the bloodline, we passed through to Jesus from Mary. And going on, just as the people had spoke, uh, so out of the house of the line of David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from her enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. And we saw that in that Samuel text as well. That that was going to occur as well. That his throne would one day rule and reign and give us rest from our enemies. But when we're talking about praise that comes from the heart, we're acknowledging and joyfully expecting that God will be the one that is reigning in us. And that God will be the one that's ruling over us one day as well. Although you and I may serve the Lord faithfully and, and, and give Him our gifts and our talents and abilities and our time will never outdo him. He is God. He is the one that will we will serve forever, and he is the one that will rule and reign forever. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we talk about him being our Savior. We also talk about him being what? Our Lord. He is our Lord and Savior. Jesus came to save, to be the Savior, Christ the Lord, 
who would die and redeem us and forgive us of our sin if we would have faith and trust in him. But one day he's ruling. He's, he's still Lord over all. But one day he will come and establish that lordship over all and everything will be subject to him. A couple more passages as we finish up. I want you to, we're done in Luke. Um, turn to Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. So we go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then it's Acts chapter 2. And we'll look at verse 29 through 36. Again, what we're looking at is this rule, this rule of, of the Messiah, what, what, that he is indeed from the line of David and that he will one day rule. So we're in Acts chapter 2. This is the, the, Pentecost, the time of Pentecost when, when Peter is, is preaching to the, the crowd. He says, brothers and sisters, verse 29, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he is exalted to the, or he is exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. Here, here's the crux. Here's the nugget, okay? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both, both Lord and Messiah. So, so Peter's talking. He said, listen, I, yeah, you think David, you think it's going to be a descendant of David, a physical person. Uh, those people are dead. David's dead. Buried. Gone. We'll, we'll see him one day in heaven. But the Lord Jesus didn't stay dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And he is the one, in the, the very last verse, this is the one that God has made, this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. See, there's the Lord and Savior, right? The anointed one who would come and redeem, and the Lord who would rule and reign forever. It was promised to Mary when, when the, the angel said to Mary, he says, he will be great and be called the, of Jesus, the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Is Jesus Christ the savior of the world? Absolutely he is. Is he the one that all redemption and all hope lies in? Absolutely. Is this the greatest name that's above every name? Absolutely. But he is also the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he will rule and reign from his throne forever. Amen? That's the God we serve. So our praise is as this, we have this praise from the heart. Our praise from the heart is joyfully expectant that Christ will rule and reign forever. And that should be on our heart and in our mind and in our songs. That he's coming back. One day there will be a day. One day this will be all made, be made new. One day we'll be totally whole again. That should be expectant from our hearts. And, and here's the last passage I want you to, to read with me today. Go to Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. Very last chapter of the Bible. In fact, almost the very last verse of the Bible. Revelation 22, 16, and 17. <clears throat> If, if, you know, these other writers of the New Testament who are inspired by God, and this is God's word, if they can't 
get the message across. Let's see what the red letters say here. Jesus says in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. Here we go. You ready to see? I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. That's who he is. If there's any question, is this Solomon or is this Jesus? I, I think we know who this is. This is Jesus Christ. And, and then look at verse 17. Both the Spirit and bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water and live freely. You see, you and I have this choice to make. Are, are we going to let this, this truth envelop us and sink so deep to the heart that it, it manifests itself as a praise from within that can't help but overflow in this, in this hope of God's redemption, in this hope of God's reign and rule that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and for you and I that we can come and find rest there. So we have to pause. We have to say, I'm going to find rest here. We must come to the, to the bright and morning star, not come to your buddy or your, your aunt or your mom. We have to go to Jesus in a humble heart, seeking that He would be our righteousness, that He would satisfy our deepest need, our deepest longings. And only then, when He satisfies that and our heart understands that and embraces that, only then will our hearts truly overflow with praise about the mighty redemption found in Jesus Christ. Amen? So what song are you singing? More importantly, though, what song are we going to sing right now? What are, what are we going to do? We have this choice to make. Man, the, the lights are lit. The word is up. The word is out. It's Christmas time. What song is in your heart? I hope it's one of joy and praise of the significant truth that the Redeemer has come and saved you. All right? Let's stand and pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your love for us. And God, it's, it's so profound to see the way you move through your word and into our hearts. God, help us, help us to analyze our heart. Help us to humble our heart. Help us to get rid of the things in our heart that don't need to be there so that we can put more of you there. And that as we put more of you there, and as the impact of the Messiah, as the redemption you offer and you've given us through Christ on the cross, as that, as that manifests itself through praise, may we sing a song that is always overflowing in the hope of the Messiah. Because of what you've accomplished, not what we've accomplished, because of what you have accomplished. And that you will be the one that rules and reigns in our hearts. And that we will overflow with praise and our song would be one that sings about Jesus wherever we go. Help us to do that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.